The Well-Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation is hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcasts tell the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Hey. Hi, everybody. We're back. Hi. It's it's you. It's hey. Karen Johnson Diamond, everyone, and me, Stephanie Wolf. Hi, it's me. It's me, Karen. It's you, Stephanie Wolf. It's you. You are Stephanie. I am Karen. <laughs> and that's the way it is here in the podcast world of Scam Time, which is your uh, true crime comedy podcast talking about all things uh, hoaxy, scammy, hoodwinkery, um, you know, magical, I don't know. <laughs> All the things that make you go, is that true or how dare they? I have been having fun, actually, because we, I don't know, if you've listened to past episodes, you know, sometimes it's like terrible uh, romance scam where $20,000 is lost or people died because of blah, blah, blah. But then every once in a while, it's just like, they said it was a cow and it wasn't a cow. Yeah. I know, right? It's anything that makes, uh, it's just great stories that we all like to talk about over a good coffee or over a good, you know, glass of wine, whenever, wherever your jam is. And uh, uh, it's fascinating stuff. We like stories that make us wonder. It's trickery, damn it. We're talking trickery and let's discuss Shakespeare. Shakespeare scammed people all the time. <laughs> Did he? Well, come on. Oberon goes and puts that like oh, potion yeah, right. on the yeah, yeah, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. in Midsummer Night's Dream and makes them fall in love with the same girl. Like that's total scammeroony. And here, like, let's just talk about that. Let's dissect that. Let's go down that path for a minute. Did he really have magic? Because this is pertinent <gasps> to what I'm going to talk about today. Or did they all just believe him because they really wanted oh, to? Oh, I don't know. Because they were asleep when he put the potion on their eyes. Were they though? <laughs> were they though? <laughs> Okay, okay, hold on. Did Romeo and Juliet actually not know who the other one was when they were behind masks at that ball? I mean, you know, I guess the thing is, and this goes round circle to scamming, Shakespeare asks us to believe and to go and to, what's that called? The fourth wall, or he asks us to, uh, what do you got to do? What do you, what's oh, that? Suspend your disbelief. Yeah, you have to suspend your disbelief. And so I guess that's kind of an ingredient into being scammed you're maybe maybe unconsciously though uh suspending your disbelief because you want to believe so badly we're scammers steph that's what we do for a living as actors we're liars we scam people all the time and people believe it (laughs) oh look she's pretending she's helen and look, I believe her for 2.6 hours. And also, when you so. think of it, like think of the movie Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. We all loved how much we got scammed in that oh, movie. So much so that when 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 it, the reveal happened, I was like, oh, shit. And let's not say what the reveal yeah, is. Let's I, not say I the wish, reveal because there are people I haven't yeah, seen Yeah, I it. wish so badly that I didn't know so I could watch it again. 
Oh, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's that, oh man, that's so great. But now I'll never not know that. But you know, <laughs> but you know what? Then you go back and you watch it with a whole different yes. set of eyes. Because then you go, oh, look, there's a pebble in his shoe and never saw that before. Yeah. I'm making shit up. That's yeah. not, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, wow, it was noon. It was noon or whatever. Like, yeah, you just, you start seeing all the stuff that the brilliant, brilliant writers and producers just lay in there. Oh, so smart. Okay, so fascinating. Let's, let's tangentialize then. Let's. Okay. It's not really a segue. What's it called when you go like way off, like like I'm completely going off. Off ramps. Off ramp. I'm going to go off ramp here. Bruce Willis having to retire from acting because he has aphasia. Did you read that? Oh, no. No, I did not read that. Oh, how old is he now? Mm -hmm. Well, older than me, but probably no more than like 60, 61 maybe. He's got to be older than that, no? I guess, I mean, there's an easy way to look up. I'm going to Google it. (laughs) Hold on. How old is Bruce Willis? Oh, he's 67. You're right. He is older than I thought he was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's still, that's still pretty young in the world. I know. So it's not, it's not dementia. It's called aphasia. And they're saying that it's like, it's a, it's a brain uh, damage or a brain disorder that comes from maybe you had a stroke or maybe like, uh, Mm. I know that when my sister years and years ago got encephalitis, there was a couple months there where she just had no idea anything what was going on, but it can, it can resolve. And they're not talking about that it might resolve for Bruce Willis, but he just, um, doesn't remember lines. Like he was having a really hard time working and now he's admitted he has to retire because of that and i what you know what what's Mm. for for me what makes me feel uh, i don't know the only positive i can see out of it is that people were kept talking about how hard he was to work with and he's like one of my favorites and i didn't want to think of him as hard to work with but hopefully that just came out of the aphasia like that was a side effect of it and that he's actually super as super nice as he is sexy but they've been saying that for 20 years so if maybe it started 20 20 years come on maybe (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, possibly, you know. Possibly. I'm sad I about I, that, though. Yeah, it is sad. No, regardless of how whatever hard to work with, not hard to work with. I mean, that's also subjective, right? So he could he could be hard to work with some days and other days not. And the guy who was asked was talking about the day that he met him when he was hard. Yeah, to work exactly. With. I remember reading about Julia Roberts, who people say is just lovely to work with. But then I remember reading this article about a b- bunch of people at... Uh, craft services and stuff saying she was just horrible. Well, then her assistant said, yeah, because she was walking past them on her way to do the hardest scene of the day. She didn't have time to say, hey, how are you? Thanks for, right. you know, thanks. Well, she was, she was like, she had to go and pull it out. And sometimes people have to understand that you, you, when you're focused and working, you can't just be the movie star right? all the yeah. time. You gotta, it's it's hard work and it's hard focus and there's things flying around you and there's shit happening all over the place on those sets and you've got to cry about your baby that died right like it's it's not you can't just always be oh the, sure I'll take a selfie with the, you the great, yeah yeah right you, right yeah. right right so who knows who knows but I mean I'm sad that's sad to hear because you just don't you just don't ever want to hear anyone having to go through I gotta tell you that's one of my biggest fears because I just feel like there I'm as I get older and older I have little little tiny pleaking moments of I've always gone you know what's the word what's the word I've always even asked the audience in improv like I'm trying to think of this got it from them literally but I feel like it happens more now and I think it's a function of age to a certain degree but I also go oh it was always my mom's biggest fear too and she never had any of those issues so maybe it's just a paranoia that I've inherited (laughs) well I'd like to think that we have every year that we are older 
we have had more life experience and we've spent more time memorizing plays. Like every single day, you get more information to your brain and I don't know how it holds it all. Like I want one of those poncives or whatever they call it that Dumbledore has where he just puts the wand to his head and (gasps) takes out what he doesn't need right now so he can make room for other stuff. I just... That would be so great. And then I remember that we only use like a a 36 millionth of our whole entire brain and I think, well, why can't... Why, if we have that much, why can't I just file everything, really? <laughs> we haven't quite evolved quite perfectly yet, have we? We just have to level up. But it up. would be so great to go put go to the Ponce today and go, today I need this play in my head. Zip. And just have yeah. it there. That would and be so This great. one's bugging me. Like, I'm, I'm, this one's really worrying Gotta me. I'd like out. to take it out of my yeah. head right now. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah, like yeah. that to happen. Oh, I know. Hey, oh, that's why we have pretend so that we <laughs> can pretend. <laughs> Speaking of pretend, I'm excited to talk to you about my scam today. Oh, awesome. Me too. I'm just going to say this, though, because for our people, our lovely people who come and listen to us. Hi. Hi. Uh, Karen and I have been luckily enough, lucky, lucky enough that we've been working a lot. So we've had to sort of change our, like we're kind of, we're trying to get like stuff done. And so we've kind of backed up podcasts closer than they normally would be. And so we've kind of had to be, do a bit of a scramble, but it was really, really fun. At yeah. first I was like, oh no. And I'm like, I guess under pressure sometimes is the way to go because. Get her done. Do it. Okay. Karen's going to go first. And mine, I'm going for nuggets today. Nuggets are fun. Yeah. I'm going for nuggets. It kind of, in, it was inspired by the time that you uh, gave us a nugget episode. So I don't have like one gigantic scam. I have little nuggets. And the reason is, is because today is April 3rd, which is just two days after April 1st. So I want to talk about some April Fool's (gasps) gags. Good one. And especially April Fool gags that went horribly wrong. (laughs) That's what I want to talk about. Because that's like, trust me, that's every BuzzFeed clickbait everywhere. But the reason I wanted to do it, Steph, is because the the scam I wanted to tell you about, I cannot anywhere find proof that it happened. Like, it lives in my brain so clearly. So I wanted to get the background behind it and stuff, and I, I have no proof that it exists. So maybe I dreamt it. Well, here's the thing. I was talking to my dad not too long ago because I remember when I was growing up in the on the acreage with my brothers and sisters and dad and mom, and my dad would often take his machete into the woods and he would clear the paths for us because there was a pond in our acreage and there was a couple of Aww. trees that had fallen that in such a way that you could stand on them and bounce because they were leaning on oh, something. Fun. We called them our bumpity bump rides. Anyway, he would clear the paths for us to explore in the woods behind our house on the acreage. And I remember one day him coming into the front yard and he gashed his leg open with the machete because it was summer, had shorts on, and his calf, like he just major gash on his calf. (laughs) And I was like so scared and so worried about him. And and he was in pain, obviously, because, ah, nah, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. Don't worry. Your mom's going to take me to the hospital. It's fine. And he got stitches and he was fine. It just looked really bad when you're however old I was, seven or oh, eight. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cut by a machete? That would look bad to me now. Like, so yeah. I talked to my dad about that. He's like, what? That never happened? I'm like, Dad, I it totally did. And he's like, no. And he pulls up the calves of his pants. Like, he pulls up his pants like, and goes... I have no scars. That never... And I talked to my mom. Karen. I know. I talked to my mom and she's like, nope, that never happened. So maybe I dreamt it. But in my mind, it is so unbelievably clear. As is this April Fool's Day prank that is so clear in my head. So 
about the same age, let's say I'm eight or nine or whatever, and I'm living in Sherwood Park and I'm listening to 630 Ched, which is a radio station in Edmonton, um, which at the time was like top 40s radio. It was the radio station that all the kids listened to because it had all the stuff, you know. So, And this one April Fool's Day, this announcer's talking and he's doing a show or what, and then all of a sudden he's like, wait, you're not supposed to be in here. Okay, get out of here. And you could hear somebody in the background going, he's like, okay, no, 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 it's okay. I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. Uh, I got nothing. I don't have any money. I don't have anything. I'm just trying to do a radio show here. And okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so for like the next, I don't know how long, in my mind, it was an hour, this guy was like, listeners, just so you know, the station has been taken over. Uh, there is a man in the recording booth with me, and he has a gun. And I felt so bad for that guy. But I also remember learning shortly after that it was an April Fool's joke. But also I remember this DJ getting in big shit for having done that. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. I can find no evidence of this online anywhere. Like, I almost feel like I want to call 630 Ched going, did I dream this too? Like, is this right up there with my dad's <laughs> machete in his leg? Can I not trust anything from my childhood now? Right? <laughs> like, what, where was my brain? But I, I distinctly remember that and thinking, holy, what a good actor he was. And B, what? That was risky. It probably happened. It sounds really, it, it sounds really plausible that that happened. I mean, especially back then when people didn't worry so much about, uh, being correct or not. Yeah. And there was no social media to like let it spread anywhere but Edmonton if you were listening to that station. I actually think that came back to me when we were doing our War of the Worlds episode that uh, Uh, I was reminded of it then. So I was like, as soon as April Fool's hit, I went, oh, I want to, anyway, I couldn't find it. So I found some other ones that I'm going to tell you about. (laughs) But those ones were really good anyway. (laughs) Okay. Uh, these are a lot of radio hoaxes. Which is so easy to do because you you don't have to see anything to believe it. I know. War of the yeah. Worlds was not April Fool's Day, but it's considered one of the biggest radio hoaxes. This one blows my mind. On March 31st, 1940, okay. the Franklin Institute issued a press release warning that the world would end the next day. Mm. Now, I don't know what the Franklin Institute is, but there's a clipping here of the news story that was in the paper. Thousands of people heard it. Their story was picked up by a radio station, KYW, and they announced, in quotes, scientists predict that the world will end at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow. This is no April Fool joke. Confirmation can be obtained from Wagner Schlesinger, director of the Fells Planetarium of this city. Oh, wow. The cops get called, like, everybody's calling, everybody's panicking. People are calling the Franklin Institute, who finally was like, no, we we never made that prediction. Um, right. The person that did it was William Castellini, uh, who is the press agent for the Franklin Institute. And okay. he'd intended, it says here, I'm reading this now, he had intended to use the fake release to publicize an April 1st lecture at the Institute titled, How Will the World End? So oh. he worked there, he decided to use that as a joke to publicize it, and everybody went insane. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, especially because with the radio has this thing about you can tune in halfway through or just at the beginning or just at the end and not hear the whole context and... Ah! 
Exactly. <sighs> uh, that radio station later issued an apology and an explanation. Okay. Castellini had intended it as a publicity stunt. He claimed <laughs> in his own defense that he had told some of the people, quote unquote, at the radio station about the announcement and, quote, thought they would know it was a stunt. Unquote. And then they fired him. So after that, he just assume everyone's just going to, hey, that, that's a joke. Right. Oh, um, a New Zealand disc jockey for a radio station called IZB or 1ZB, I don't know, announced that there was a mile wide wasp swarm heading towards Auckland. That's terrifying. I know. Absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Oh my Especially God. Especially when you think at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was talking about those killer wasps that were coming. Yeah. Something. I, Murder bees or whatever they were. I haven't heard anything about that <laughs> yeah. since. But he announces that this God. mile wide wasp swarm. So like that's like, imagine. Uh, anyway. No, so no. he suggested that every Everybody, when they leave their house, wear their socks over their trousers. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, and leave honey smeared traps outside their door. So people did. So the, the joke was all these people were walking around with their pants stuck in their socks and had honey smeared all over their doors. But it didn't get any trouble for that one, I don't think. I think that one's harmless. Yeah. There's a couple of radio stations, and this is attributed to a number of radio stations, so I don't know who first thought of it, but one of the one of the ones that they did is the radio station would go, okay, whatever city you're in, so Edmonton, yeah. tell us, right. whatever. AGT Telephones is announcing that tomorrow they will be blowing the dust out of the phone lines so that at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, everyone should make sure that their phone receivers are in a plastic bag in the garbage to collect the dust so it doesn't go all okay. through your house. Okay, that one's really funny. I know. That one is really funny because I can see myself going, what? And then, well, maybe. <laughs> I guess people were calling in from work going, are they going to do it again tomorrow? Because I'm already at work. Like, I can't go put my phone in a bag. <laughs> See, that one, that one makes me laugh so hard. I love that one. That one's really, really funny because it kind of plays on our own stupidity. Like, I know. I think I would do it. Like, I seriously think I would fall for that one. It makes a lot of sense. Oh, my God. That's funny. <laughs> Like, actually, phone lines are actually little tubes that we talk through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. This one this is incredible. Dutch elm disease infects redheads. This is 1973 <laughs> off the BBC. Dr. Clothier oh my God. <laughs> uh, was interviewed about the government's efforts to stop the spread of Dutch elm disease. Yeah. Because uh, after recent <laughs> discoveries, he, they had found that exposure to Dutch elm disease immunized people to the common cold. So people were trying to expose themselves to Dutch elm disease so that they wouldn't get the common cold. Oh my God, that sounds so timely right now. Yeah. Anyway, but apparently this guy's saying there's a side effect, though, be careful, because exposure to the disease also causes red hair to turn yellow. And... He said it, it was attributed to the similarity between the blood count of redheads and the soil conditions in which the affected trees grew. Wow. Turns out it was a um, comedian named Spike Milligan. Do you know who that is? Spike Milligan? Sounds familiar. Oh, God, that name sounds so familiar. Was he on every show in those days? That sounds Maybe, so Maybe, 1973 yeah. BBC. God, it sounds like he'd be on Real People and all those shows. Yeah. Like, it sounds to me, I, I recognize that name for sure. Also BBC. Yeah. There's a, a little island called Foley, which is located between the Kent coast and Sheppey. Don't know exactly how to pronounce it. But apparently the the island was a cause of numerous shipwrecks. So the authorities had decided to destroy it. This is real. An island? Yeah. However, because the decision had been protested by conservationists, they decided instead to tow it somewhere safer. 
So to, wait a minute, tow an <laughs> island? Yeah, just a big a big hook. They just put a big hook exactly. on it. And in fact, it goes back. It says here in this article back to 1824 when a hoaxer supposedly had the residents of Manhattan believing that their island was going to be towed out to sea. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, if you think that an island is like just a floaty thing, I guess. Like I guess. what the heck, people? Like, continental drift is real, but it took thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got to be really careful at the shade I throw here because I am, my middle name is gullible. So I got to be really oh, careful. But some of them are, you know, come on. I mean, if I can see through it. A lot of these, you know, like, they're the ones that went horribly wrong. It's funny. Okay, so I'll tell you about this one first. There was an, a radio station. I don't even remember which one. I don't feel like crediting them. Um, that said, if you want to win Kanye West tickets. Uh-huh. Call in, and then we're going to give you a huge challenge. And if you actually do the thing, it's like a truth or dare. If you if you do the thing and you manage to accomplish what we're asking you to accomplish, then you're going to win these tickets to Kanye hmm. West. So this woman calls in. Are you married? Yeah. Is your husband home? No, he's at work. Do you have kids? Yeah, we have a nine-year-old. So apparently the DJ says, okay, here's your dare. We need you to call your husband at work and admit to him that the kid is not his oh, oh, and oh, get mm, him mm, mm, get him to say he still loves you mm, anyway. Mm, 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 and if you can do it, you get these free Kanye West tickets. So apparently she does and he freaks out and he's so mad that he admits that for the last couple of years he's been sleeping with her sister. Ooh, ooh, open that little door and smashing. Oh, no. Right? Well, I guess, is that like, right? Like, I mean, now we wonder, is it? I don't know. Does one bad? Oh, that's harsh. That's harsh. Some of the articles on this exact April Fool's joke were like, this seems staged, but the actors are just way too good. But mm. here's the thing, Steph. I, I went to listen to it. Like I started listening to the phone call. And you know how some people cannot listen to 911 calls? Yeah. Yeah. I seem to have no trouble with 911 calls unless it's a parent about a kid. Then I can't listen to it. But if it's, <laughs> I have no trouble with that. Yeah. I got physically, like I, I almost threw up thinking of listening to this and I turned it off. I turned it off just as she connected with her husband because I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't stand it. Oh. Nobody died. Nobody was right. bleeding. But I was like, I can't listen to this. Just it's like it's like you know already what's gonna. You're, you're watching someone set their house on fire, and it's just you're pulling that. They're pulling their own string on their own sweater, and it's just like, Ooh. oh, I know. It was just like, <laughs> oh. oh. Well, I mean, I, I guess if there, I don't know what the silver lining is there. Nothing really, except for that. I guess their marriage needed to be um, examined with a fine tooth comb, and and uh, the the means might not have been the right thing, but at least they found their truth. Oh, ouch! Sorry, this that one is right? painful. Like my husband April fooled me with saying that the water tank rust one day, and I was so mad at him. <laughs> Burger King once announced a, a Whopper for left-handers. <laughs> see, that kind of shit makes me laugh really hard. Because I can just, I can almost see myself going, okay. <laughs> right? It was like called the Southpaw Whopper. Oh my God, I love that. I know, I know. Oh. Uh, this one blows my mind. But again, I feel like I would fall for this. On April 1st, 2002... A couple of Kansas City disc jockeys announced that the water supply in Kansas City had been found to contain high levels of dihydrogen monoxide. And the side effects of dihydrogen monoxide included sweating, 
and urination. <laughs> but dihydrogen monoxide is actually what water is. <laughs> it's two molecules H2 of hydrogen o and a molecule of and one of oxygen. That's funny. That's good. People freaked out. They were they were criticized and accused of terrorism by one oh. government official. I know, right? Oh, it sounds the, like someone who would be in our government right now. Did I say that out loud? Anyway, yeah, you did. It sounds like yeah. something someone someone in our provincial government might go down that road. Oh Maybe. my god, that's hilarious. I, there was one something about I, I don't you know what I don't even know if I should even bother saying this, but there's a joke about table salt and 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 its molecular composition too. That's similar to that. I can't remember what it is, but it, oh yeah, it's similar to that, and it's like. Yeah, gotcha. It's like the same thing. But anyway, that's funny. There's also one that people go, uh, all you people that, you know, are worried about the ingredients in your food, would you eat something with this and this and this and this and this unpronounceable thing and this unpronounceable thing? And they go, no. And then someone goes, well, that's a banana. Like that's the ingredients of a banana. That's a banana. You weird (laughs) people. You're a banana. A clothing store woman, woman that works in a clothing store in Ohio, decides that the good April Fool's joke would be to call her boss and say that the store is being held up at that moment by armed robbers (laughs) and then hangs up (laughs) and then was about to call her back and say it was a joke. But by that point, the boss was already on the phone with the police and the police show up at the store. And of course, that she got fired. See, now, I guess those and are the arrested, ones where, arrested. And arrested. Yes. I mean, you don't, that's, that costs us a lot of money. And that's, then, and then it undermines when real shit happens. And like, I think that that's when it, when it's something stupid, like we're making milkshakes for left-handed people. That's like, to me, that's silly and funny and goofy. And if you buy it, no one's getting hurt. It's just silly and you can have a good laugh about it. But when it comes to actual criminal activity, that, that can just go wrong so fast. Totally. And he's, a couple of these people were, uh, charged with a felony for the stuff oh, they did. Whoops. Ouch. That's all I'm going to tell you about. But I just realized there's a site here, um, called the Hoax Museum. Oh, so nice. I'm going to have to look at that for the next time we do a nugget that I decide to do a nugget show. Yeah. 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 Me too. As I wrap that up, let me tell you about the best April Fool's joke my husband ever, ever pulled on me. Okay. We had been married. No, we ha- we were not even married yet. I'd moved to Calgary. I was living with him and we bought our first house. <gasps> and we moved into our house, of course, obviously on March 31st. We moved in on March 31st. And it went all day. It was one of those young couple moves where people are just helping <sighs> you and you're doing it out of friends' trucks or whatever. So, you, yeah. you know, two o'clock in the morning, we finally got all the shit in the house and we didn't even put any, fr- we didn't even put the bed together. We just threw the mattress on the floor yeah. of the bedroom and just crashed and fell asleep. And at six o'clock in the morning, I wake up and Kevin's scrambling out of bed. And I'm like, what's the matter? He goes, someone's at the door. And I was like, oh, I didn't hear anything. He's like, yeah, no, someone's been knocking at the door. So he gets up and he goes running downstairs and he opens the door. And I'm like, it's six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. On- and also at this particular year, it was Good Friday. Like Good Friday fell on April 1st. Oh, wow. Double whammy. So there was like no businesses open. Like I couldn't figure it out. So anyway, I can hear him downstairs. I can hear his side of the conversation. And he's going, yeah, well, wait a minute. What? No, they no, 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 no. <laughs> and then he slams the door and he comes upstairs and he just sits on the stairs with his head in his hand. And I come out like I've got a, you know, a blanket wrapped around me. I'm like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And he says, um, the bank didn't accept our deposit check. Oh, oh, hurt, right? hurt. No, 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 And at no, the time, no. like, houses were cheap, and it was our first house, and I think our down payment was $10,000. Like, I think that's it. But uh, 
it had bounced or something like something had gone wrong with the $10,000 check and we had to be out of the house by noon because, because oh. the, you know, the agreement on buying it was your down payment goes through and all your conditions are met or whatever. And so we moved in and the check bounced and they were like, get out by noon unless you can come up with $10,000. I'm just, I know I'm just weeping. I'm just weeping. And I'm like, okay, well, what? What, what can we do? Like, how much money do you have in the bank? And how much? And maybe we can call my mom or whatever. Actually, call your dad. I bet your dad could probably just give us ten thousand dollars, and we could pay it back to him next week or whatever. And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. actually, I'll call him and I'll tell him it's April Fool's Day too." Oh my god, <laughs> that's a good reveal for him. But ouch, ouch, ouch! That would be like I would pick up the nearest <laughs> spatula and wing it at him. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. Uh, anyway, so that's my wrap up to the April Fool's jokes nuggets. <laughs> no, that's good. Did you did you see the April Fool's joke that uh, Rachel Notley did? <gasps> yes. <laughs> um, Rachel Notley used to isn't uh, the head of the NDP party in Alberta, Canada, and she was our premier for a few years. She's not right now. She's head of the opposition, and we're uh, most of us are hoping that we can get her back in as premier. She says she's between premierships right now, which I think is hilarious. Um, That's great. But anyway, uh, there's a show in Edmund- in Alberta called Jason Kenney's Hot Boy Summer, which is sort of spoofing our current uh, UCP government. And I played her in it. It's a mu- it's a musical. It's very sort of I don't know Saturday Night Livey kind of spoofy. It's really it is fun, brilliant Saturday Night Livey goofy. Yeah, center. it's it's awesome, and it's it's a huge hit in Alberta, and it's traveling all over the province. And and uh, for April Fools, I had to leave the show because we didn't know it was going to be the big hit that it was and I had already signed contracts at other theaters so when they started booking these tours I couldn't do them so they were replacing me and uh, her April Fool's joke was she she filmed a whole entire audition to play Rachel Notley (laughs) and it's very very funny and then at the end Sarah Hoffman another MLA steps in and does a funny little bit to cap it off but it was like that is ball that is just I don't know that's just like a, it's just really good sense of humor. Laugh at yourself, have some fun, and B, it's just really cool. So I've been sort of tweeting. She's trying to take my job. <laughs> she's after. <laughs> she's after our jobs, people. I love a politician that can take the Mickey out of themselves. Respect. That's great. Yep. One of the things that the only thing that she had that was sort of critical of the show was she said the only thing that I don't agree with in this script is that I would have sweared way more. Like I would have said this. <laughs> And they bleep out what her big long, long string of swear words would have been. And I'm like, yeah, girl, you go. <laughs> so hooray for April Fool's. It can be a big source of fun. And um, I guess not so much fun, but we're focusing on the fun. This episode of Scam Time is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing. And you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bill. Learn more at parkpower.ca. How's your scam? Is it fun? Well, it links up to kind of all of these ideas. Um, how to start? You know what? I'm going to start with uh, credits because I always forget oh, to do I that. Oh, I should have done that too. I'll, um, I'll put those in so, after. I'll oh, put those in. Okay. 
Okay, so sources for this fun, fun time that I'm about to embark on. Uh, one of them is from a podcast called True Crime Obsessed with Jillian Pensavale. Pensaval. Jillian. Hi, Jillian. And Patrick Hines. <laughs> another one, another uh, source is uh, the podcast Discussing Documentaries with Rick and Matt. They don't give their last names, so... Rick and Matt. Hey, Rick and Hi, Matt. Rick and Matt Discussing Documentaries. Thanks for your podcast. I think um, I'm going to love that podcast if they're telling me which documentaries I should watch. Yeah, yeah. They just discuss documentaries and they, you know, they discuss documentaries. I'm being super redundant. <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> what do they discuss uh, again? Documentaries, Karen. Oh, okay. Uh, and then uh, an article called Groovy History by, um, and it was called Magic Smackdown. Um, da, 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 an article in the New York Times by Jeanette Katsuli. But the two biggest ones, the two biggest uh, influences to my story were um, a podcast called The Carson Podcast with the host Mark Malkoff and this documentary that I watched that I, I'm basically going to default to it because it's so good and so well done. It's called An Honest Liar by Justin Weinstein and Tyler Meesom. You might even know it. You're I from don't. The generation, well, you're from the generation that you'll recognize this and probably a lot of people will. Um, An Honest Liar. And so this harkens back to the time, like I, I'll say this, when I was growing up in the 70s, of course, we only had three channels, blah, 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 blah. All we ever heard about was Johnny Carson, Johnny Carson, Johnny Carson. But we didn't get that show. When we finally got our first cable channel or whatever, and NBC was on, and you could watch Johnny Carson, that's all my parents watched every night. Oh, and yeah. Everybody, and I remember growing up with the stars on Johnny Carson. And when they changed the desk, I was like, oh, they changed the desk. I mean, it was a big deal. And they changed the back curtains. Oh, they changed the back curtains. Like, like it was just, it was it was the, the capper of every day. And you saw all your favorite movie stars and all these great comedians who, you know, always waited to see if Johnny was going to call them over because that was always a sign of you you did good. Yeah, or yeah. Not. If you like, got to come to yeah, this couch. People like, totally. oh, I get goosebumps thinking about it because comedians will talk about that moment when they go, oh my God, he's calling me over. And, you know, they had magicians. Johnny Carson was sort of a famed kind of, he, he was also kind of famous for being an amateur magician, but I guess he was very skilled in sleight of hand and he loved magic and he loved all that stuff. So he often had magicians on. And I remember this because he used often had the amazing Randy on. He goes, everybody tonight, it's the amazing Randy. And this little kind of elfin guy had beard and white kind of hair, big glasses <clears throat> would come on and do like, He'd escape from a, you know, a straitjacket or from a 200 yards of rope around. He, these tricks that we see people do. Um, and he was, but he was very funny. He'd sell the, the he'd sell it really, really well. And um, he, he, if you saw him, you'd, you'd know him immediately. Because the minute I started watching this documentary, I was like, I remember him on that show. I remember him so well. But one of his things was is he was a debunker. He didn't want to be known as a debunker because he always said, I don't want to say none of this is possible. I'm just saying this is unlikely or this guy's, this guy's scamming you. So he would rip the, the blanket off of scams, basically using his magic. And he loved magic. He was a magician at heart. He grew up being a magician. He, he loves magic so much. So he, he always tried to follow the magician's code, which is never tell what the how to do the trick sure um because some other magician is doing that for their livelihood and you exactly know, you so but he said you know i will um show you what a charlatan's doing if they're using magic to like you can use magic he said he loves magic when it's revealing truth to you and if you, someone is using magic quote unquote to 
uh, lie, make money from, uh-huh. exploit you, he will he will show you exactly what they're doing Yay. because it's not magic men. So one of my- You know what it is then? It's scamming. It's a scam then, people. So one of my favorite things that he says at the beginning of this documentary is, magicians are the most honest people in the world. They tell you they're going to fool you and then they do it. And at the <gasps> beginning- Right. And then at the beginning of all of his old, of his shows, cause he'd been around for a long time already by Johnny Carson's days, he'd been on that, the Tonight Show when it was Jack Parr's show. Like he goes back to the fifties, but he used to, his introduction to, introduction? His, his introduction, introduction yep. to his skull would be like, <laughs> hi. I'm a charlatan, I'm a liar, I'm a scammer, I will pull the wool over your eyes, and I promise you tonight that I'm going to trick you, and you're going to believe me, and then he would. So, I mean, I kind of love that, because you just, then you're going, yeah, wow. And so, the people, like the guests on this, this is just to show you the sort of the legitness of this beautiful documentary, are people like Alice Cooper, Bill Nye, Penn and Teller, um, Richard Weissman, professor of public understanding of psychology at the University of Hertfordshire. Like, there's everybody you could ever want to endorse this guy is on this documentary. Alice Cooper. That's all I ever want. When they make a documentary of me, I only want Alice Cooper to <laughs> well, give me street cred. Alice Cooper's going, you know what? I, in the 70s, I, it was all about glam rock and I wanted magic tricks. And who do you go to for the magic tricks? You go to the best. I wanted my head chopped huh? off in the show. So I was like, who's going to, who, who's, what's, who's the best illusionist? Because he was a billionaire. Alice Cooper is the biggest rock star in the world in the 70s. <gasps> I didn't know that. So he's like, I called up the, the amazing Randy because why wouldn't I? And so and they, Randy ends up, James Randy ends up showing up in some of his videos. They just kind of get to be a f- buddies and pals and it's kind of cool. So I didn't know that. I didn't know that like Alice Cooper was doing something like getting his head chopped yeah. off using magic in his show. Okay, I'm way more impressed with Alice Cooper being in that documentary then. Yeah, so he's like, he it's stagecraft and they all recognize it for that. It's different if they're actually saying, no, he actually did cut off my head and then put it back on. Like that's a different, yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah. So anyway, I'll give you a little bit of history about Mr. Randy himself. How about he was born in Toronto, Canada. Way back in like 1926 or something, way back. These facts are probably going to be wrong. You can look them up. Watch the documentary. You'll find them. Because the internet isn't as old as these facts. That's And anyway, so he was born then and he was such a super smart kid, um, like brilliantly clever that elementary schools finally just went, whatever, don't bother coming. Just show up on June 6th for the exams, whatever. (laughs) So when he was a kid, he would like wander up and down the Toronto streets and he'd go to magic shows and he couldn't, you know, he, that he got, he got entranced by magic uh, like immediately. And he even called out some magicians when he was a kid and they were like, shut up kid, get out of here. Because he was like, I know how you did that. And was like, get out of here. Like, so he was just always a pest, always a bit of a pest. But he started, um, he, you know, sort of did the magician thing and he, he learned his craft and in his early careers, he had, you know, the turban on and he did all that sort of stuff in the thirties and, you know, forties that when that was sort of how magic was presented. Um, oh yeah. And he, you know, saw the lady in half and in his older days, he was like, I always wish that I could see a lady saw a man in half. Like he's just this egalitarian at heart. He's wonderful. But right. he realized that when the light turned on for him, that he could use his talent for good or evil, quite literally is when he, correctly predicted the winner of the uh, World Series one year. And it made him very, very famous. And um, people were coming up to him in the streets saying, can I give, you know, I want to pay you. Will you tell me if my son's choice for a wife is going to work out or not? Like, because he was doing sort of mentalist stuff too. He was like, oh, no, 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 I can't, you don't get it. Like, this is a show. Like when I, 
read your mind. I'm not really, it's a trick. I'm not really reading your mind, right? Like, you know that, right? Right. But people didn't want to believe him. They're like, no, no, you did this thing. And I saw you do it. So can you, and people were writing him letters and calling him. And he was like, he said he was kind of overwhelmed and went, oh, I didn't realize that people fucking believed me. Like, it's a show and it's magic because you can't explain it. And it's exciting, but it's not real. Yeah, I'm admitting to you right now, it's fake. I'm just not going to tell you yeah. how I fake it. I tell you that at the beginning, but it's a practiced craft that I actually, that, you know, he has a talent for and he's a showman. And one of, you know, he's, he said, they say he's a good, you know, uh, post, I was going to say zucchini, but I meant Houdini. Zamboni? <laughs> Zamboni. He loves Zambonis. Um, he loved Houdini. He loved Harry Houdini. And ha- Harry Houdini was famous for debunking myths and whatnot, too, and using his magic to say, see, fooled ya, caught you. It's on you, not me, basically. Um, and he wanted, he kind of wanted to be better than, like, he was like, he set the bar, I wanted to cross the bar. But he said, you know, I was doing tricks longer than him, but he was doing them when he was in his 50s, and I was in my 20s. So of course, my body's going to hold on to the oxygen better and whatnot. Like, he kind of gives Houdini all this credit, even though he broke a lot of his records. Like, this guy is unbelievable. So um, he decides, and that in that moment, pretty much, no, I'm going to do this for good, not evil. I'm going to let people know that this is a trick and I'm going to, I'm not going to show them how I do it, but I'm going to tell them that it's fake. You could learn how to do this too. And then of course he'll do it very much pen and tellery. Like then he'll next mess your mind up with another trick and you'll, but yeah, but you just said, ah, so he's just a very skilled, <laughs> brilliant magician. And that's, he said, there's a difference between a magician and a con artist, right? He said, everybody wants to believe, but he said, I will, you know, he basically always said, no matter how smart you are, no matter how educated and how brilliant you are, you can be scammed. And so he said, so he's, he's like, I'm kind of a professional skeptic. I want, I don't want to throw people under the bus unless they're hurting people. And he did, which is great. But he said, I want everyone to make sure that they think twice about something or they look at, look past what someone's telling them before they sign on the bottom line. Like just think, just use your big brain and ask a few questions. It doesn't mean you have to be negative. It does it because he's a very positive spirit. Like he's very alive and he died when he was 92 for Pete's sake. But I was going to say, is he still 2020, just minutes ago he died. Oh, really? He was just, no. he looked like a wizard when he died. He was tiny with a big, long white beard. Like he's, he is Dumbledore. And he also was saying, I'm not saying these things aren't possible, but anyone who's getting in the way of us trying to figure out if mental capabilities are real by scamming you will never find out if you keep lying. Anyway, and he's a huge star. He's gigantic. He's all over the world. He's everything. At a certain point in the 70s, now this is really cool because he kind of points this out. In the 70s, there were lots of news programs. We got our news kind of once a day at around six o'clock. And then on some nights there were news, like 60 minutes, all of those news programs. Because we weren't, we couldn't immediately check, fact check something people put their trust in those news programs thinking, well, they have, they're the ones with the capacity to check things. So when they tell us something, we'll believe it because we're, we're think we're trusting Walter Cronkite and those guys and their staff to have done that work. That's why they're there to tell us what's going on. So we'll believe it. Right. And he said, so that's part of, part of, part of why the time was when there were channelers were a big deal in the seventies. Remember channelers, they'd show up on, um, 
well, like all those afternoon talk shows, pre, pre-Oprah pre talk Merv shows. Merv Griffin and stuff. Merv Griffin, exactly. And they, there was one of them that was Ramtha. And she was this woman who said she was channeling this 35,000-year-old guru. And she talked like this. And then there was this other guy who was channeling some <laughs> Sorry, other... wait. How did she talk? She talked like this. And then there were other ones who would be like... And now in French? Do it in French. She talked like this. And there's all these guys. There was a bunch of channelers. And they were all, you know, supposedly these spirits and, and it was kind of a big deal. I kind of remember that, but even at that time I remember going, yeah, I don't think so. But she was everywhere and she was making, and she, she linked on to a couple of these other ones that were doing the circuit and they tour around together and make, you know, $200,000 a night. And that's in the seventies. So these guys were real, right? Like they were really, but the thing was they weren't, it wasn't a show. They were saying that it was real. And so the first time, the amazing Randy, he met a man named um, Jose Alvarez, who ended up being his partner for life. But he he was already in his 50s when he met him, and he was 18 at the time. Now, I'm just going to plug this in. Because of the times and who he was and the where it was, uh, James Randy didn't really come out until he was like, I'm not exactly sure of his age, but it was well past 50. And he met his partner for life, a real love story, who was 18 at the time. Now, people can say that's that's kind of squirmy and I'm not sure about that but if you watch the documentary you see the love in these people and and Jose Alvarez was with him till his dying day and you can just see how he takes care of him and so Jose Alvarez was born in Venezuela and in you know in the documentary we find out from him that being gay in Venezuela in those times was basically a death sentence and you had to hide it hide it hide it so he was he's an artist a visual artist and he he went to the States for art school. His time in America was up and he knew he couldn't go back because it was a basically a death sentence. So he actually kind of took on this persona. He changed his name to Jose Alvarez. It's kind of, a, it's basically identity theft is what we call it now. But he, in his story, he had no choice really. And he met James Randi in a library. Some people say it sounds really sketchy, but it's like, I don't think it was. These guys were together for life. So we won't spend a lot of time on debating that. So the debunking. So there's all these channelers and James Rand is going, this is bullshit. And it's okay if it's entertainment, but people are starting to believe them. They're starting to go to them for advice, right? They're starting to say, you know, can you see in my past if there's anything, you know, all that stuff. And he's like, I can't, I can't stomach it that these guys are get are taking all this money from people who don't have the money to give. So he was like, okay, but you can't prove that someone isn't being possessed by a spirit. Like, how do you prove that? There's no medical thing you can do or there's nothing. You do. So he's like, so you know what we have to do? We have to create our, create our own and make people buy into it and then reveal that, no, you've been duped. Oh, wow. So lovely Jose Alvarez says, yeah, okay, I'll do that with you. So he t- basically teaches him how to be a channeler and he's called the great Carlos and he sets him up and like he teaches him everything. He coaches him. He's already, James Randi is already a huge star. So he has connections. He can, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Right. Yeah. So he basically, they create this character called Carlos. He's in, you know, the white sort of tunic and he sits on a big plinth and he does all the things with his arms and he channels this, this ancient, you know, this ancient spirit called Carlos and they talks about everything and, and they book him in to Australia. Like he sold out the opera house in Australia. The Sydney Opera House? Yeah, yeah. Holy like that's crap. how Carl they they created this Carlos. He wasn't just a flash in the pan. And you they show him them making these huge press kits on their gigantic computer with this beautiful like folders and pictures and everything. They wow. made up art news articles. They made up uh, they made up 
uh, a whole list of where the great Carlos was going to be appearing in New York City on Broadway and stuff and phone numbers and stuff. All of them fake. Every single one of them fake. And as he's typing them up, James Randi's going, well, this is bullshit. And kind of (laughs) laughing about it. All anyone would have had to do is pick up the phone and call one of them. And, but nobody did. He said they landed in Australia. They landed in Sydney. And within eight hours, they were on like nine different TV shows. And everyone just ate it up. After the show, the big Sydney show, um, they were interviewing people on the street and people going, no, there's something psychic about it. I can feel it. It's something very special. And I'm so honored to have been in his presence. And all these people, you're kind of going, Jesus, you know, you're doing yeah. exactly what. Uh. But they reveal it. They say he's a fake. It's not real. We did this, this, yeah, we are, so how can you say that any of those guys aren't real? They did exactly the same thing. So he does this debunking thing and he gets into trouble for it, but he's basically like, listen, I don't know how else to tell you guys. Yep. If it's your choice to believe them, but it, I, we're telling you right now, anyone can do it. You could do it if you wanted to. So also in the 70s and 80s, metal bending was a big thing. Everybody could bend metal with this. Oh, yeah, the spoons. Bend, 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 <laughs> spoons and nails and keys and everything was just, oh, touch, touch. And, and you know, he that's a that's an old magician's trick. And But these guys were saying that they were real psycho psychopaths. <laughs> real, <laughs> they had real telekinetic ability. Like Uri Geller was one of the, Uri, Uri Geller was one of the biggest ones of all time. He's really good looking, awesome um Israeli man that lived in the States. And if you look him up, I remember him from all the talk shows too. He was so good. I must remember him because I was fascinated with that metal bending. Tall, dark, handsome, delicious looking human being. And his, but, but his thing was that it was real and that he had the telekinetic ability when he would say, bend, bend the, his brain waves would change the molecular composition of the metal and he could bend it and everyone had the the capability within them to use their telekinesis but you have to believe in it and you have to access it and he had a direct line to it and it's a very special talent and he could do this and he was on all the talk shows because he was also a very good entertainer right of course james randy decided "Mm, i can't let him get away with this because he's now telling people that it's real he's not doing a magic show and wowing anyone anymore he's getting he's he's make he's making money off of people saying that he's real and i guess and again it goes back to that time period when we believed stuff because if it was on 60 minutes they'd done the work so yeah we're exactly to say yes yep so barbara walters is buying into uri geller and i think it's basically because i think i mean you watch her episode with him she loves him he's completely smitten you can tell (laughs) But he's holding the key and it's bent and she's like, oh, oh, and she keeps it on her key ring. And of course, James Randi comes in and goes, okay. She's like, but I'm a believer now. I saw it. I was there. He did it to my key. I keep it on my key ring. This is Barbara Walters. Right? So now James goes, Randi has gone on her show now following the time that Metal Bender was there. Okay. Yeah. And she, she's like, how, you can't tell me this didn't happen. Like, how dare you? Because I was there. I saw it. I keep it on my key ring. And I'm a believer. He made me a believer. It was right in front of me. And James Rand's going, okay, well, do you have another key? She's like, yes. And he goes, okay, well, and he does the trick. And he goes, I'm going to say, uh, he says, bend. I'm going to say broccoli. I'm going to say broccoli. Broccoli, 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 and the key bends. And she's like, oh, Oh, no. Like, she's just so disappointed. She's yeah. like, no, no, but maybe you did a trick and he was really, maybe you're just doing magic and he was real. He goes, well, what, what's different 
about it. And she's like, oh, no, you ruined it. Oh, oh. She wanted to believe so badly. The sad part is I don't want to know how that was done. Yeah. He didn't tell her how it was done. He just did the same thing. And he said, but I'm not, I have no telekinesis powers. I'm not. It's a trick. I just did a trick and you saw me do it. But he's proving that ESP and telekinesis doesn't exist. Yeah. And she's, but she's like, he's like, why can't you be as amazed just knowing that it was a magic trick? Why does it have to be, you know, like, and, and she's just like, oh, damn, you know? And so he's, there starts to be a bit of a war because Uri Geller's response to all that is he's just jealous. I bet. He's jealous. Sure. That's, of course he would say that. Yeah. It's like, you know what? It's okay. Let him, let him do this. He's just jealous. He's, he's doing a magic trick. There's lots of copies of the Mona Lisa that are beautiful, but they're not the real thing. And I am the real thing. And he's a copycat. And so, you know. That's a good analogy, actually. Yeah. There's a really good little coming back and forth about this. So at the time, there's this, um, it's a government um, institution that has lots and lots of money given to it to investigate paranormal activity and whatnot. And it was during the Cold War. So Russia was working with with, uh, psychics and whatnot, trying to find if it's real and if they can weaponize it and whatnot. Because they just don't know. So it gets out that Uri Geller is this, the real thing. And they're like, okay, we got to test him. If it's re- if he's the real thing, we got to test him. And he goes through this whole cache of, cache of tests. And the, para- the parapsychologists say, we can't explain what he does, but there's enough evidence to say that it's real. And one of the things that he would do is there'd be these little can these t- tin canisters and they'd put a ball in one of them. And then they'd put like 16 tin canisters in front of him and, Uri Geller would tell you without touching them which one the ball was in and tricks like that and bending things and all that stuff. And they gave him legit, like they signed off and said, there's enough evidence that this is real. And so we have to study it. And, you know, so Uri Geller's like, he, I've been bonafide. Like I've been, it's, I'm, I've passed all the tests. Like, okay, you go the amazing Randy and go past the tests or whatever. So this institution ended up getting a big, huge grant from the government to study and they put out this call for telekinesis paranormal people to come and and study them so james randy brilliant guy got two teenagers and who were kind of into it who had been learning the stuff and read uri geller's book and it kind of taught themselves how to do it and and they had you know they're big fans of magic and whatnot and they had they they had uh, gotten themselves in touch with james randy and said hey you know we'd love to be part of anything that you do or whatever so he's like okay you, okay, let's do this then. How about we get you guys so trained and so good that you get into that program or we'll try and get at least one of you into that program and then we'll play around and see what happens. Out of 300 applicants, the the two that got in were those two. Wow. Those two got in, two teenage guys. And James Rand, this is how smart he is. He actually wrote to the institution and said, okay, I hear you're doing this study. I know how this, I know how magicians do all these tricks. I'm going to give you all of the 11 points of what you should do to control this study so that if these kids really are telekinetic, they'll be able to do it. And if they aren't, it's because of these checks and you'll know it's fake. He writes out like 11 things of how you debunk this. And he said, my suspicion was, is that they already had this bias. They wanted to prove it correct. So, so Randy tells the kids, I've given them these 11 guidelines on how to do this experiment. If they follow those 11 guidelines, you guys won't be able to do anything. It won't work. And then they'll, they'll see that it's not real. You guys try and make them break those guidelines. And if you make them break those guidelines, we know they're not practicing good science. 
and they're pre-biased and they want you to succeed. So go for it. Guess how long this goes on for? Uh, 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 12 minutes. Four years. (gasps) Four years. They brought these two back in over and over again. So they report back to back to James Randi and say, okay, we, we, we said, can like, so one of the things was make sure you mark all of the spoons with some kind of mark so that we know that they're not switching them out. So they mark them instead of with marker, they mark them with little tags and they have, they have footage of all the stuff. So the two guys are going, oh, can you just maybe take off the tag? It's getting in the way of my, my, uh, and they're like, oh yeah, sure, sure. We can do that. There's even close-ups of them. You can see them doing the switching out and the stuff like that. But these guys did not want to see it. They just didn't want to see it. So these guys would write, the two boys would write back to Randy and say, okay, so we got them to break ev- all 11 things the first day. So they want to, like, the, what? So then James Randy would go, okay, so here's another way you can dupe them to see if they're real. You know, and, and the institution is saying, hey, we're working with real magicians and they, they can't explain why these kids can keep doing this. And James Randy's going, I keep giving them the tools to prove it wrong. Like science is always, you got to almost try and always prove the hypothesis wrong over and over and over again. It's like, but these kids, the the kids are able to keep talking them out of it every time. Right, right. They interview these guys, these the, the institution guys, and they're saying, well, you know, as the we put more and more and more and more kind of uh, checks and balances around it, and as they got thicker and thicker, the effects were less, but there's still enough reason to believe that they're that that it's real. And James Randi's just going, holy shit. Holy shit. There was this uh, a British journalist who was very respected who, because he'd been converted, he became a believer, and he didn't like that James Randi was out there saying that it wasn't real. He said, if I can, if, so this is, these two are really real. They don't know the connection yet. I want to show the world that they're real. I want to come and I'm going to do a big documentary on it. And this journalist doesn't know that these teenagers are working with James Randi. No, okay. no. He wants to prove to James Randi, like, shut up, leave people alone. It's real, basically. Right. He wants to finally say okay. And so they tell James Randi this and James Randi's like, okay, put all these things in. He talks to the journalist and he says, okay, let's do it for real then. Put all of these checks and balances in place and they won't be able to do it. I can guarantee you that. So the guy's going, okay, sure. Because those are the same ones you gave to the institution and they could do it. So let's do it. And they did it. And James Randi had talked to his guys and said, okay, this time play by the rules. Don't try and break them. Actually go with the rules. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't do a thing. And the cameras were there for hours and hours and like eight hours. And they were like, oh, I don't know. I can't do it, I guess. The minute the cameras got turned off, they broke all the rules and bent. They said, we bent everything in the room. We bent everything. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime guy. And I guess this, this journalist went bananas. I guess he had a huge blowout, a tantrum. He was screaming. He was crying. He was, he was gnashing his teeth. I guess like he had a breakdown and the two young guys went, we can't. Now they had their moment. They're like, we can't do this anymore. Like we're just to see the pain, like to actually be in the room when someone's losing their mind is really scary. And we don't want to be part of that. It was different when we were going in doing these tests. Because we were part of, some, but this is, we don't. and James Randi's like, no, I know what you're saying, but we've got two more months until the big conference. And he goes, just hang in there. So at the conference, two months later, James Randi is there. He's going, okay, these are the two that have been doing all these experiments, blah, blah, blah. Can you please tell the people what it is that you do and how you do it? And one of them gets up and goes, well, it's really easy. We cheat. We're cheaters. We cheated. Also, one of the scientists was legally blind and he was one of the observers. So James Randi goes, I mean, what? <laughs> So he basically said, okay, so these scientists, the reason why they were able to to say they had proof is because they wanted it so badly, 
so badly. So that, that was one of his biggest, biggest ones, all of the metal benders. Here's the Uri Geller one. Uri Geller, big, they're having this awesome, awesome feud at this time, right? And they're feeding each other because they're all on every show, every night. And what I learned in the Carson podcast, the amazing Randy, and they just would call him amazing, that was sort of his first name, was on that show all the time. And him and Johnny Carson became really, really good friends. And at one point, Johnny Carson's like, you know what, we finally booked Uri Geller, who's like kind of the biggest star outside of you doing all this stuff right now. Would you come on the show too? And he's like, shit, I'm in New Jersey. Like, I can't get there in time for that night. They were that close that Johnny would call him up and say, can you be on the show tonight? Like, if they, you know, and he would just show up. But he was like, I'm in New York. I can't. But he said, let me talk to the props people. So he talked to the props people and he said, here's what you do. You coat every one of those little canisters, because that was his big reveal, one to put the ball or the water in the canister, and he would figure out which one it is. And uh, he had a really good show for it. Like, he was a, he was a great showman, too. Um, he said... Coat them all with uh, uh, plastic cement or rubber cement, but don't glue them down. Just let them dry in the air so it's a clear coat and then put them there so that you can pick them up. Don't glue them down. Just do that because the trick is so simple. He moves the table around to take a different look at it and he watches how they, how they, how the cans are moved or not moved and which ones have yeah, friction. Exactly. And- it's that simple. It's that simple. And he said, all it will mean is that they can't move. They'll be, they'll be, they'll have some grip. Just do that. That's all you need to do. And if, if he proclaims, if what he proclaims is true, he'll be able to do his thing. If his telekinesis is real, he'll be able to do it. If it isn't, he won't be able to do it. Did Johnny Carson know that James, James Randi was going to try to debunk him on his show? (gasps) No, he didn't know. He didn't know. So he's just like, all right, so here we go. Uri Geller's here and they show it. It's so uncomfortable. It's almost oh. like your, your call because it's real. And it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And so he's like, he's trying so hard. And Johnny Carson loves magic too. So he's like right into it. He's going, okay, okay. He's like leaning over his desk. And he's like, huh. And Uri Geller's like, I'm having a hard, he has this great accent. He's like, I'm having a hard time with you. And Johnny Carson's like, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be giving you a hard time. I just... What can we do? What can we do to help? Uh, and he's like, no, just let me, um, uh, just don't. Uh, and it's so, it's so Just watching his career get destroyed. Well, wait for it. Was it live TV at the time? Yeah, it was live. Um, Johnny Carson later says you should have seen him. He was stamping on the floor and, and trying to blow and trying to anything to make the table wiggle and nothing. Like he couldn't get anything to happen. So Uri Geller goes, can we just take a little bit of a break? I'm feeling weak. I'm just feeling weak. So they took a 20 minute commercial break, like unprecedented, where there was, you know, commercials and whatnot. They finally came back on and Johnny Carson says, okay, so here, here with the, with Uri Geller. And what would you like to say, Uri? And he said, I just want to say that tonight is just not a good night for me. I'm feeling very weak and I'm sorry. I'm not disappointed though. Don't be disappointed. I'm not, this is a, I'm a live human being and sometimes this happens. And Johnny Carson's like, okay, great. Well, we'll get you on again, you know, and, and thank you very much and, and good night. So they thought, okay, he's done for. He's done for. Nope. The next day he was on Merv Griffin, did the exact same trick and went, I'm so much more refreshed. Last night I was tired. This happens sometimes. And so he turned it around. He was smart enough to turn and everyone went, aw. Oh, wow. Aw, poor him. Oh, people just, so yeah he was fine he kind of he kind of his career was not over now no not over for a second at that point um oh there were other things in the at the end of the day with Ari Geller he he uh he had been debunked enough that people were finally kind of going I don't know because times move on right and things 
things change and people get a little more smart. Um, but he said that at the time he'd been approached by metallurgists, like people who are mining for gold and stuff. And because of his talents with metals, they hired him to help find the gold. Basically, all he did was invest. And he became a yeah. bagillion, jagillion, bagillionaire. And so there's footage of him now, Silver Fox, he's still very handsome, sitting in his gigantic gabillionaire house saying, no, my talents, I use them now for to find the, you know, I'm very successful in helping them find where to dig for the gold. It's like, no, you just invested. That's, come on. Um, and now he calls himself a mystifier. He doesn't call himself a telekinesis or a, or a you know, a metal bender. Like he doesn't say he's a telepath or anything anymore because that's saying that you're a thing, but a mystifier. is like an illusionist. Yeah, he can, or yeah. he can kind of say, I can mystify you. It's real. You just can't explain it. He will not step back from it. And this is one of his defenses to this day, like in, when this was shot in 2014, this movie, this is one of his defenses. I don't understand why Randy, like, I guess we fed each other. We both had a good career. I don't know why he's after me so much. I tried to shake his hand so many times. I don't know why he hates me. You go go pick up a National Enquirer. Those papers, there's always stories about psychokinesis and telekinetics. There's, it's huge. It's really real. You go, all the movies that Hollywood makes about UFOs and stuff, why would they make them if it wasn't real? And you think about that and you go, um, movies and the National Enquirer are are your defense for it being real. Okay. But, Escapism I mean, much? It, it's hilarious how he, he's like, there you go. There's a proof right there. They're writing about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but he's fine. No one has to worry about Uri Geller. He's a gajillionaire and he, whatever. He effectively was debunked. He can't, he, people, enough people went, oh, it's a trick. I get it. And it was just a time. So that was the Uri Geller business. And, um, you know, the amazing Randy, he talks about it in the, in, in, on that podcast. He says, yeah, I met him a few times and I just would always, I'd shake his hand, but he's, I, I have no interest in a charlatan like that. I have no interest in someone who insists on saying, insists on lying about what they're doing. I can't abide by it. I hate his guts. He basically yeah, wow. he said that. Interesting. So the amazing Randy's on the Carson podcast. Like it's it's Yeah, they actually talked to him. He's really, really old. Just minute, like a couple years before he died. He was like in his nineties. He was already wow. really but they were talking to him about all that time. He was talking about his friendship with Johnny Carson. It's awesome. He talks about this letter that's on his wall that Johnny wrote to him and he starts to cry while he's reading it. Oh, oh it's just it's beautiful. It's just awesome. Yeah. It's called um The Carson Project and the yeah, James Randy is the or just Google that, you'll hear. It's a, that it's, episode is about yeah, James Ramsey. It's really great to hear him talk about his life. And he's just so simple and so direct about it. All. He has a huge foundation now that tries to, that meant to educate people and give um, scholarships for education and stuff. He just wants people to be smart. Johnny Carson, I guess, gave him many hundreds of thousands of dollars to that Yay. donation. Like even the, oh, what's the guy's name that, oh, shoot. He just passed away. He had a show forever and he, and behind him would be sort of lights that were in the shape of like the world, like a world map. Oh, um, that old guy, uh, interviewer, interviewer, old guy. Larry I'm, King? Yes, there it is. <laughs> okay. Can I tell you this? Yes. I put interviewer, old guy. Larry King came up first. <laughs> so, uh, James Randi would go on Larry King and do the fork thing and then make, you know, hold the spoon and bend it until it broke off. And Larry King would just sit there and go, how did you do that? He's like, it's magic. It's a trick, but it has to be real. It's like, no, I'm, I'm actually telling you that it's, that it's magic. Like, and people just want to believe that it's real. Right. So anyway, he was a rabid dog about it. He showed up everywhere anyway. So, but one of the biggest ones that hurt him the most was the televangelists who said that they could heal people. Right. 
He said, you know, in the 80s, it was huge. It's still a thing, right? Yep. It's still a thing. But in the yep. 80s, it was huge. And one of the most famous ones was Peter Popoff. And they show this disturbing, again, it's like you're your phone call. It's like, cause it's real. It's, it's happening. It's like, this isn't a show. This is real. And it's really disturbing. They show him healing, you know, putting their hand on the, these women's heads and them falling down and, you know, healing deafness and, Oh, the Lord Jesus devil, take the devil out of this woman's ears. Oh, I feel it. Here it is. There it is. Pow! Then she, then he puts his hand on her forehead and she flies down to catch her, catch her letter. And she's scared. How do I sound now? She's like, loud. You sound loud. She, I sound loud. I sound loud. He's screaming at her. Like, Maybe that's why she, it sounds loud. Anyway, so he, he's doing all these really disturbing, you know, one of the, and he's going, is, uh, is Brian Murphy, Brian Murphy, is Brian Murphy in the house from 602 Oak Street in uh, Massachusetts? Are you here? Are you here? And Brian Murphy's going, oh, fuck, that's me. How do you know where I live? Holy shit. Yeah, that's me. You, you can't walk anymore. Come here. Take the devil. And he does all of his big weird shit and, you know, puts his hand on the guy and he falls down and he gets up and he's like, can you walk? Walk with me now. Walk with me now. Because he had a walker and a cane and whatnot. And the guy, you can tell it's fueled purely by adrenaline. He starts yeah. doing this awkward kind of run. He's going, I have no pain. I haven't run in 12 years. And you're just going, oh. Power suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you're so pumped up with adrenaline, and the crowd is screaming. There's ten thousand people screaming. You know, you you just you know, and he breaks his cane and throws it away, and and so and then you see him going. Everyone who has pain, who everyone who is on medication for tumors, everyone who's on medication for high blood pressure, throw the pills down the aisle, throw them off the balcony. I want to see a rain of pills, like he's making people throw their medication away. It's horrifying. You know, he calls this woman, is there a Adelaide so-and-so in the house? Who's, who's Bucky? Who's Bucky? That's your son? He has cancer? Are you ready for that cancer to be burned out of your chest? Yeah. And like, it's just awful. It's horrifying. And he does this over and over and over again. Well, of course, um, James Randi's like, I can't let this happen. I can't, I can't let it happen. So he starts going to the shows to start going, okay, how, what is he doing? How is he doing this? And he goes, I have no, I've seen no evidence that people are actually healed. They seem to be going along with it. I don't know yep. if they feel it the next day or not, but whatever. So he st- he brings in a pal of a friend of his who actually ends up being a great big magician called Banachek later, but he brings him with him. He's like, can you watch this with me and let's see if we can figure this out. And at the end of the show, um, Popov, um, Peter Popov is like, I need some volunteers to come down and help me collect money. You give me $10, you're going to get 10 times that back. You give me $100, you're going to get $100. God will provide for you. All that bullshit. Jesus. So, Banachek, I can't remember his real name. Anyway, goes down there. He's like, okay, I'll volunteer. And he said, when he went to get the bucket, he could see that there was an earpiece, obviously, in the guy's ear. But there's no ear hole, but it was pushed in way far. And he said, I think I know how he does it. He's wearing a hearing aid. And James Randi's like, for a guy who can cure the deaf, why would he be wearing an earring? This is a beautiful moment. But he's like, okay, okay, so let's figure this out. We got to figure this. So he hires a, a head of security of some place and says, can you get some stuff in here? We'll make we'll make a way for you to get into this place and uh, see if you can find the radio signal. They get him dressed up as a. They document everything. He's like, here me, here I am as a security guard. And James Randi gives a disguise as uh, as some, he switches the letters around in his name and makes a new name. And he's a documentary maker and he, they get in there like, yeah, we want to document these miracles. And that's great. And so they get backstage and, and the security guard underneath a box sets up his equipment when no one's looking. It's just really basic, like this most basic <laughs> sting operation ever. And the things start happening. He's like, okay, well, let's see. This could take, probably take the whole show. Well, within minutes, <laughs> This is what he hears. 
Hey, Petey. Hey, Petey, can you hear me, Petey? If you can't hear me, Petey, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> okay, look to your left. Her name is Shelly Clark. To your left, look. There she is. Okay, now she lives on 117 49th Street. Okay. They hear his wife talking to him. She's telling him the whole thing. So then they're like, but how does she know? Where does she get this information? Well, of course, when they come, they're all told to come an hour before so that because it's going to be this big prayer service before it starts and everything, they all have to fill up prayer cards. Yep. So when you fill out this card, it goes into a big thing. And anyone who's put their card in there and with their ailment, it's going to get prayed over. And, and my son Bucky has cancer. Yeah. She, so she picks like, oh, these, let's do these 10 today and just reads the fucking cards to him in his ear. Like, <sighs> right? So they have all of this on tape, all of it. And he said, I even have some stuff on there that you wouldn't, you don't want to hear some of the stuff that she was saying to him in his ear. And he said, I've got the tapes up on my shelf. So if they ever try and sue me, all I have to do is press play for about five seconds and they'll hang up really quickly. I know it's so good. I want to know what's on the other tapes. But so he does this whole thing. And I love this name because I remember seeing it on all the shows in the 70s, Fred DeCorvida. He was the producer of The Tonight Show. And I remember, always remember seeing that name. He said, so he called up Fred and he said, hey, listen, I've got this, this thing. And he said, oh, I'll tell Johnny right away. He's like, no, don't, 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 don't tell Johnny. He goes, I want to see his face. He goes, Johnny doesn't like surprises. He's like, no, you're going to, he's going to like this one. He goes on the show and he's talking to Johnny and Johnny's going, how, how are you? How you been? How you been? He's like, well, I found out that, um, that uh, God actually speaks to people through the frequency of blank, blank megahertz. And it's a woman. And he's like, what, what? And he plays them the footage and they show this, they show it all and they play the whole thing out. So he exposes this guy on the Carson show. Yeah. Live. Johnny had no idea. Again, and Johnny's just like, what? Oh. And he looks really disturbed. Like he, you can see him going like, this is, this is awful. Johnny Carson's reacting that way, you mean? Yeah. In the good way. He's just like, oh, yeah. You can kind of see him lose his, his veneer of show for a minute and just kind of be like, oh, like it's, it's really really distressing. And um, so he pulls the wool off of that. Well, here's the thing. Good old pop off. He gets real, you know, he gets upset and really mad. And you're calling me this and you're calling me that. And his basic thing is, well, he, he can't take me down. Our ratings went up. Then our next show, there were more people watching, of course. Because they're watching to see how he, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of falls off for a bit. He ha- he does have to declare bankruptcy within the next year, but he comes back on the shopping channel and he's selling holy water. Popoff does? Yes. So now he's making his fortune selling holy water. And this is one of the things that Randy said, like he's an atheist, but he said, you know, what hurts me is that some people need their faith and he's taking advantage of people's faith. For the people of faith, it disgusts me. And he said, at one point, people kind of say, stop being so stupid. But he said, no, the smartest people in the world, some of the, not in the world, but some very, very intelligent, smart people are fooled by this, by this stuff. Like, Like I've proven with the channelers, like I've proven with the other people, you can be really clever and smart and get taken for a ride, which you and I always talk about, like, how do people buy into this? Well, I loved this because it kind of showed, you know what, everybody's susceptible if they want it to fit their belief system, or if yeah. they're vulnerable yeah. enough, or if they don't know enough, or all a combination of all that stuff. So that was kind of disappointing, too. But the amazing Randy's kind of like, well, there you go. We showed you. <laughs> now it's up to you, right? Like, we showed you. If you still want to believe, you're the sucker now, right? So it's, it, it's, um, it's incredible. But uh, that's sort of the, those are the three sort of main takedowns that he did. But he was doing that all the time. And um, there's, a, there's another layer to this, because at a certain point in the early 2000s, 
his partner, Jose Alvarez, gets arrested for identity theft. He was fined for 25 years as Jose Alvarez, but then he... Uh, no, the real Jose Alvarez, the real one, decided to get a passport, and they arrest him. And they'd been together for over 25 years at that point. Like, it was real. It wasn't just a boy toy, and it wasn't just a guy looking for... He, they, like, the love is really real. Anyway, he goes to jail, and uh, there's this scene where Ra- James Randi is in bed, and he's very old at this point. He's in his 80s by now, and... Uh, they're saying, did you know? Did you know all the time about this? Like you talk about truth and you talk about deception and yet you're living, you know, as he, he, he's very much admits like as a gay man, I had to live a life of deception. I know about deception. Um, there's this thing, did you know about this? Did you? And he, he's like, he's very upset and you don't see him upset ever in the, until now. And he's basically says, if I don't have to say that I knew all along that the only reason this person could stay in the States was by taking on an, an alternate personality. If I don't have to say that, I won't. So he's very clever in how he phrases things. He's savvy. Of course, mm-hmm. he gets off. Thank God. He does, he has to do some public service or whatever, but there was enough character references and everything to say, you know what, he's been a great citizen and blah, 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 blah. And, but that was sort of another layer of this sort of deception that, you know, all human beings are are faced with at some point in their lives to survive, to move forward. What truths do we tell? What truths don't we tell? What things do we keep hidden? All that stuff. And also for a very public persona, what does all that mean? But that's the story of the amazing Randy. And he's just amazing. He's amazing. He's, he's so far ahead of his time. And that, that documentary is called An Honest Liar. An honest liar, and you can watch it free. It's not on Netflix. It's but it is online. You can. It'll, it, there's a free documentary place that you can just press it and watch it. It's so. I good. will link on our podcast page to an honest liar, to the Carson podcast, and discuss documentaries. I think is another podcast you said discussing documentaries. Discussing documentaries. Okay, so the other thing I'm going to link to Steph, and maybe you know this already, but I had no idea. Until you started telling this, I'm like, I've seen a movie like that. And it's it's called Red Lights, and it's with oh. Robert De Niro and Sigourney Weaver. Are you kidding me? Two of our favorites? I just watched it like five weeks ago with my mom. It's got to be based on that because the plot focuses on a, a physicist and a university psychology professor, both of whom specialize in debunking supernatural phenomena and their attempt to discredit a renowned psychic, played by De Niro, whose greatest critic mysteriously died 30 years prior. So it's it has to be based on that. Like, there's no way. It's a 2012 movie. It premiered at the Sundance Festival. Well, it certainly could be influenced. I'm not sure who they're, like, who they were trying to debunk. They're debunking Robert De Niro plays this psychic who goes on tour. Oh, he plays a yeah, psychic. Makes tons of money. I bet. Bends metal, does the shit. And in the storyline of this movie, these like scientists put him to all these tests and prove that he's right. But Sigourney oh, Reaver is just like, I must disprove him. I mu-. And they finally do. And it's a woman talking to him in his ear. So it has to be based on that. Red Lights and Robert De Niro. I got to watch that because that sounds- I've never seen Robert De Niro in a part like this before. Yeah, that's it's very so- freaky. Sigourney? Yeah. I mean, and let's talk. Robert De Niro and Sigourney Weaver in the same movie? Right. Oh, my God. And uh, it's written and directed by Rodrigo Cortez. Right. Oh, Wow. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, Red Lights, it's called? I'm watching that. Yep. Oh, uh, do you know, it just made me... I, and then, of course, of course, I went down the... It 
put me down the rabbit hole of looking into the amazing Randy's life and all of his tricks and how good he was. Like he's the guy who hung upside down over Niagara Falls to come to get out of the straitjacket. That was him. <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah. So he was so legit, right? Um, and he, he when he finally just stopped doing physical stuff, he was doing the milk can thing where he's inside the milk can. Yeah. And he heard two cracks and they were his own vertebrae. He was 55 and he, they could, and he was like, I can't get out because I just broke my back because he was, oh, and he's fuck. like, they better, I'm sure there was a safe time at like at one minute point something, open it up. But he's like, I, he thought if I panic, I'm going to inhale water and I'm going to die. So I can't panic. So he was in there for over a minute and they finally, he heard the locks undoing and they, they, they brought him out. And so they took him right to the hospital. It was on this show. It was a live show. And at the end of the show, they bring him back on, on a stretcher. And he's like, <laughs> I broke two vertebrae. I'm fine. I just, just gonna let you know, I'm probably not going to do that trick anymore. <laughs> I'll leave it to the youngest. And this was his response. He's like, at a certain point, people don't want to see an old man come out of a can. <laughs> He's like, I'll leave that to the young guys. And then he just started focusing on more like debunking and the brainy parts of it all. But it was really funny. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm okay. (laughs) The paramedics are bringing him back in. It's like, fuck. That was such a good story. I think he's an episode on his own. I tripped over it. You know, when you searchy, searchy thing, I tripped over it and I went, I recognized him and went, oh, that's the guy from The Tonight Show and pressed go and went, what? I didn't know this. I love those when you just trip on them. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. Anyway, so there you go. So, two truths and a lie. I'm ready if you're ready. I'm ready. April Fool's Day dates back to the 1800s when they moved the New Year's Day from April 1st to January 1st. They changed calendars and they went, it's not going to be April 1st anymore. It's going to be January 1st. And so people got confused, which is why it got labeled April Fool's Day. Okay. Number two, I can bend spoons with my thumb. (laughs) Number three, I once got sawed in half at a magic show. (laughs) I'm going to say the lie is the first one. No, it's the truth. Oh, is it? (laughs) This is what they believe. Some historians, I'm reading this now, some historians speculate that April Fool's Day dates back to 1582. I guess I said the wrong date, so that could be a lie. Uh, France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, because with the Julian calendar, the new year began on April 1st. Right, okay. But people who were slow to get the news or failed to recognize that the start of the new year had moved to January 1st and continued to celebrate it through April 1st became the butt of jokes and were called April Fools. Amazing. I had no idea. That's so cool to know. But okay, which was the lie then? The lie was I've never been cut in half (laughs) by anybody at a magic show. But the bending spoons with my thumb totally used to do that with the, as a kid. And it took you forever, but it was just the heat. Like you just kept yes. running the little bend, rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing it. If they pre-prepare them before the show, then they're already weakened. And, and they're already warm. And yeah. So, yeah, yeah. All that yeah. stuff. I mean, right? Yeah. Okay. I used to do card tricks for entertainment. A bunch of card tricks. I have a magic wand and I learned how to get out of a straitjacket. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, I think that it's true that you have a magic wand because maybe you have one of those Harry Potter ones. So I think that's true. Um, I don't think you learned to get out of a straitjacket. I think you did do card tricks and the lie is the straitjacket. You are correct. You win. Yay! 
if I had ticker tape and yeah, and oh, golden sprinkles, I'd be throwing them at you right now. <laughs> Hooray! Which is cool because I wanted to, I almost, well, I wouldn't have, do you know um, the our local, our very own magician, um, Billy, Billy Kidd, they're a magician that was from Edmonton and she went to England and she's been on Penn and Teller and she's all over the place. She's a big deal and she comes. Wow, across, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Look her up, Billy Kidd. She's really cool. And she was doing a Firefly show and she, she can get out of a straitjacket. So I was watching her do it backstage and I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And then it looked, then she was kind of, kind of talking about it. And I went, no, I don't. That that would hurt. That would hurt way too much. I just don't want to do that. You break two vertebrae. Me, I would break in half. So, um, yeah. Anywho, there you go. There's our Scamalicious Scam Time. Let's talk about the magic that is the Alberta Podcast Network. Mm -hmm. Shall we? Do it. Because... Scam Time is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. We have been with them now for over a year and, and we thank all the sponsors that support the Alberta Podcast Network and the Alberta Podcast Network for supporting us. And there's no hoax. It's not a lie. They are the best. Hooray, APN. Woo. Shall I talk about our socials? Do we have socials? Is it a lie? We do. So um, we are uh, on the Twitter at Scam Time. Simple, at Scam Time. And on Instagram, we are fraud.broads, fraud.broads. And there's, I'm a little behind, but there's always good pictures of things that happen in the scams and, and whatnot. And it's always fascinating for me to kind of try and find some of those images. But please follow um, when you listen to our podcast rate and subscribe and give us a review rate review and subscribe it helps us out a a whole lot we do this for love Love. and we love you for listening and it would help us out to you know keep our keep our followership and and you know move us up the charts and get more follow more more listeners if you give us a little bit of help that way that's all we ask and i I just want to say though i just want to say if you come up here and get this basket though if you give us ten dollars We'll tell you 10 seconds more of a scam. <laughs> if you give us $100, we'll tell you 100 seconds more of a scam. Who's a good liar? Who's a good, who's, who's a good, who's liar? A good supporter? Who's a scammer? Who's, who's a scammer, scammer? Come here, I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to lie to you. 